We talked about how God doesn't just fill us up to fill us up, and we don't come to church just to continually get filled up, that we need to have a reason to be filled, that we need to be pouring out. We talked about being poured out for the needy, for the hurting, and for those who are still seeking. And I want to just continue to press this pedal, um, and I'm hoping that it's causing some tension. So what I want to talk about tonight, I'm hoping will cause some tension in how you think about church and how you think about yourself. It's causing me tension. I shared this last week, but this has been about a year, year and a half journey. Um, and I was actually thinking about this. It's even been longer than that. There, were, there was a season like years ago, I don't know if Jonathan remembers this, but we were, no, I actually do know he does. He's just not listening, see? Um, so we were, we were tasked with leading one of the meetings at the church, and we, uh, even back then, this was like in our mid-20s, we felt the Lord saying to us, like, what can we do to make this more friendly for people coming in to find more about God? So I was just thinking, this has really been a, a, a long journey for me, but in the last year and a half, God's just been pressing the pedal in my heart. And so I want to share these things. They're in process with me. Um, I don't think I have these things figured out. In fact, I would feel a lot more authority getting up in front of you and talking about youth ministry than I do talking about the church and and maybe changing our concept of the church. But I think that's what the Lord wants us to be thinking about and praying about. So um, first off, the title of the teaching is Both And. And, um, oh, I forgot, I'm doing this. Boom. Really cool, huh? I know, I I went overboard with the title. Both slash and. And so uh, the concept of both and, I hear it all the time. Sometimes it really bothers me how often people say both and. It's like once in a while you have to make a choice in life. But um, both and for me is difficult. So I started to think about the things that I can do at the same time. Like uh, how many people in here consider themselves really good multitaskers? Anybody? So there's some good people. So I did some research on multitasking. You don't want to know this if you consider yourself a good multitasker, but actually the research shows that if you multitask, you're not as efficient as if you would just do one thing at a time. You're slower. (laughs) You're slower. Uh, You do a worse job. And seriously, like that's not what I want to hear because I have a hard time doing any one task for more than a couple seconds, I feel like, you know, Um, I, I work on it, I work on it, and then I'll have this stray thought. You know, and, and I want to attack that thought, and then I'll, I'll be in the middle of and I'll have this other stray thought. So I, I form lists, and I have this app on my phone that James Gifford told me to download to keep me organized and keep me on task. And he said, you know, you just put two things. Was it you? No, I said don't listen to him. Oh. He, he, he was good. He said you, should, you have this uh, things I want to do and then things I'm doing and then, you know, things I've gotten done. And he's like, you only put two things in the things I'm doing column. I have almost not listened to him at all. I downloaded the app and I've generated hundreds of lists of things that I feel like I should be doing, but I have no discipline to not do things. So it's just a mountain of to-do lists, but I like it because I never forget anything. So it helps me stay on task. When that stray thought comes, I type it in, but I'm notoriously bad at doing two things at once. So I'll give you a few that I think are kind of funny. Um, I've tried my whole life to chew and keep my mouth closed. I can't do those two things at once. I don't know if you struggle with that. Um, if you ask my wife, I, I, she would attest to that. If you ask me in the moment, I absolutely am keeping my mouth closed. But um, I, I struggle to scratch Mandy's back at any time of day or night and stay awake. Those are two things I can't do at the same time. I don't know if anyone else has that experience. Um, when I was going through my sleeping problems, I was like, maybe I should just scratch her back for a while. <laughs> Boom. Um, I struggle to watch TV and do anything else, right? I mean, I don't know if that's you, but I can't do anything else. I can't, especially conversationally. Um, I think I'm listening to you, 
But if there's anything mildly interesting on TV, even I've been known to zone out on a conversation for a commercial. And I know that really is, is bad and reflects poorly on how my father raised me. Um, <laughs> but I know he's the same way, right? Now, who, who has gotten distracted by a commercial on mute? On mute. Have you ever been sucked in and, and you still, yeah, you're like, what's going on? And, and, your, and your wife, you know, who you love is talking. Or your child eh, is talking. That's when you unmute it. Okay, so I think we struggle to do two things at once. And I think that the church honestly struggles to do two things at once. And there's even people who would say, choose something that you're good at and just do that great. Um, but I think we miss some of the mission of God. So I'm, what I'm going to talk about today I really don't want to give you any disclaimers because I know I'm not supposed to do that as a teacher. All right, what I'm going to talk about today is going to be life-changing. That's what I was going to say. All right, so the first, I'm going to talk about two both ands, okay? Um, And we're going to talk about whether we can do both of them in the church. And I know I gave you a little sheet if you want to write them in. The first one is, I believe that God has called us to be both sent and gathered. There was, we're to be a sent people and a gathering people. And we're going to talk about what those two things mean. Um, churches tend to do one or the other. They tend to be either in the community or attractional. Okay, so different words you can use for, is, uh, for sent. You can use missional. You can use incarnational. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's essentially the church living in the community, being amongst the poor, being with your neighbors. You're sent. You see yourself as a people on mission. And attractional would be a gathering church that that's really sees themselves as you come to us and we're going to be ready and we're going to make it really, you know, slick and good and we're going to have, like we've talked about that here, not so much the slick and good part, but having, you know, not having insider language, you know, preaching the gospel on a regular basis, being open to new people, not using, a, I already said insider language, didn't I? Yeah, okay. So those are kind of two different churches, and I've been reading a book that's been wrestling with, can a church be both of these if God's called us to be both? So let's look at if God's called us to be both. Um, and I want to base this on this, this verse, and I decided to give you this whole context. It's not till the verse at the end, but I want to give you the whole context because I think it's important. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth. Okay, so he's just doing this kind of, discussion with Gentiles and Jews. And, you know, when Jesus started, you know, when he died and rose again, and and in Acts, the Holy Spirit came, he came upon Jews. And this was just another step in their mind of the Jewish religion. It wasn't called Christianity, right? This was just Jews, and it was the Messiah had come, and this was their thing. And so to all of a sudden open the door to Gentiles was really amazing and awesome, but it's something Jesus had prophesied he would do and had been prophesied before Jesus. So he's talking about the tension, though, that this created, all right? Um, so, formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So if you could just hear this verse as pertaining to Christians and non-Christians, or churched and non-churched, or people who are here and people who are not here. You know, in this just area that we live in, this kind of Avongrove, Avondale area in PA, there's 200,000 people who don't go to any church. 
don't go to Catholic church, they don't go to Christian church, they don't associate with any kind of church. 200,000 people in a couple mile radius. There are people, and there are barriers that we as a church have built that have said, you are them and we are us. And, and it's this distinction. And Jesus has come. He said he is the peace who made the two groups one, who destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside all the things, you know, the, now this is getting specific to the Jewish versus Gentiles. All right? And it comes down to this. Uh, he, his purpose was to create in himself one new huma- humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I know it's a lot of stuff. Just stick with me. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, I wanted to read this whole thing because first point is he wants us to remember that we were once far away. And I find this in myself and I find this in Christianity. I find this in churches that once we're in, we forget that we were ever out. And we forget and, and for some of us, we have a better testimony of being out and coming in. Like I was born in, right? I became a Christian when I was four. I've gone to church my whole life. So I don't have that same experience. But it, we all were once out and someone brought us in, right? My mom led me to the Lord uh, in the parking lot of JCPenney. Um, but it's a spiritual experience. We went shopping, got saved. Um, so... But, you know, we all have made that transition. But once we get in, it's like we shut the door behind us and we get this attitude. And Paul is writing and saying, listen, don't forget you were once out too. And so Jesus came to preach to those who were far and those who were near. Because his heart's desire is what it says in another part of Scripture, that all people would be saved, that all people would know Jesus. So I think that we can tend to just preach to the near. I, I can tend to do that. And church can tend to be 90% for the near. And this is a little bit of, you know, rehashing last week, but I think this is something that's so ingrained in me and in church that it bears talking about more than once. What are we doing to preach to those who are far? You know, what's our budget look like? What's our calendar look like? You know, um, so we'll get into that more. What, what did Jesus say about mission? He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. We talked about this last week because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. Why do I go to church? What if you said, why do I go to church? And you said, hmm, let me look at what Jesus said was his mission, and maybe the church should do the same. And then you read this, and you're like, okay, we're supposed to proclaim good news to the poor. And I always hear people argue out of that being, but that's spiritual poverty. And I understand, what I understand about the verse is that it does really apply to both, but you can't take the poor out of the gospel, the gospel is for the poor. The gospel has always been for the broken. I mean, how many times did Jesus tell stories, like the one parable where he said, you know, he invited all the people to the dinner and all the important people didn't come. And so he said, go out to the byways and the highways and just invite anybody who can come. The poor, the broken, those who aren't dressed right. You know, like this, this idea of all are welcome. Anointed to proclaim good support. He sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You know, I think that's, again, both literal, and this is a real hard one for me. I don't do anything with people who are in prison. Really, I don't. And I know I'm not supposed to individually do all of this. What's cool is this is the call on the church, okay? But look how outward this all is. It's to the poor, it's to the prisoners, it's to the blind, it's to the oppressed. That's incredible. That's, that's I'm outward, I'm out there. This, the Son of Man did, 
he, you know, in this whole passage in Luke 9, he says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the healthy, right? The healthy don't need a doctor. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. What if that was your church's mission statement? What if that was your life's mission statement? Now you could say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And like, I hear that. And remember, I'm pressing one pedal right now. There's a lot of other pedals to press. But, but if Jesus' express mission is to come in and seek and save the lost, shouldn't, shouldn't that weigh heavily on us? There's this great quote I want to read to you. Jesus was God incarnate. This is from a, a book, Barefoot Christianity. He literally put on skin and dwelt amongst us. And he moved into our neighborhood and he spoke our language. So when we say we are to live, oh, wow. Um, the rest of my teaching printed blank. Yeah, I can do that. So um, he moved into our neighborhood and spoke our language. So when we say we are to live incarnationally, we mean we are to put on Jesus and represent him by focusing on being his hands and feet to our world, to live on mission. This includes, but is not limited to serving the least. And I love how he stretches this out because we can be sent to anyone. It might be ascending towards your neighbor or to a complete stranger. Either way, the focus is essentially on the church. Listen, becoming missionaries to our culture. This is one of those lines that's grabbed me. I've read it over and over and over again. Like, what would it look like to move somewhere and be a missionary? And next week, we're going to have Andrew come talk about this whole what is the church in culture look like. Andrew Greenplate is one of our missionaries, and he's living it more than I am. He's going to talk about being missionaries to our culture. But what if we researched the culture right here and said, we want to move into the neighborhood. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. What would it look like? Do we know where there is need? Do we know like the, the first step we need to take? Are we reaching people? And this is what I think this, this service that's, you know, uh, the barn, we have three services, and we've kind of said this service is a little bit more of an outward-leaning service, right? And that's cool. So the people who come to this service, we want to start asking these questions. What if we started to research this area and said, what could we be doing to be missionaries to this culture? See, guys, you've now asked me to do two things at once. I'm really, I, could, I couldn't even find the app. It was right there, but while talking. I, okay, hold on. Press the button. Okay. Loading. This is a good part of the teaching. Okay. All right. Um, okay. And so, you know, just to further do this point, I think you've probably, you're on board, but um, Jesus, Jesus says, all authority in heaven have been given to me. This is when he's going to heaven. And he kind of says, like, you think, like, the last thing someone says is usually pretty important, right? And he's like, go and make disciples. You're sitting here, what am I supposed to do? Who is the church? What are we supposed to do in the earth? I don't know. Let's pray about it. It's right there. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Oh, go and make disciples. Now, I know we could like argue about what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to make a disciple? But like, I think there's a definite sense of being sent. Would you agree? Like the word go is in there. So I think we struggle though, because once we're in, we're in. And we draw these circles around ourselves and it's protection. And I know life's hard and we're going to get into that. But like, first and foremost, I think if you're asking what the church is, I think what's starting to change in my heart, and I probably haven't been here in a lot of my life, is I think... First and foremost, the church is sent. Like, I really do. Like, man, we could argue about that, and I'd love to have this discussion, but I really think, like, it's hard to get away from it. That we're supposed to be first going. 
We're to be going towards, like uh, Andy Stanley says, we, we go towards the mess. Like we're supposed to be going towards the hurting. Um, another pastor I like, Alan Scott in Ireland, he says, if you want to come to our church, you better be ready to go. Because we're sending church, and that's what we do. Everybody comes here, we go. If you just are looking for a church to sit down in, there's plenty of churches around. But it's like that part of the identity of his church is that they're a sent church. I love that. And so um, I'm going to not read this whole quote here, but there's this, this quote basically says that most churches uh, are either one or the other. They're either sent or they're gathering, okay? They're either missional or they're attractional. And what ends up happening is churches uh, have kind of given over the sent part to nonprofits, okay? So I want to talk about being gathered real quick. So churches tend to um, either be one or the other. And the other thing we've talked about here is being attractional. So can we be sent and be going towards the poor and the broken and the hurting, going towards our neighbors, going into our communities, being incarnational, the hands and feet, of God in our community, and also to, also attractional. And I don't, I don't have this up there, but one of my favorite verses of Jesus, he has this, uh, he, uh, Philip goes out and meets some other people, and he starts to tell them about Jesus. And he basically says this thing, which is a vineyard, now a vineyard tagline, is come and see. He says, come and see Jesus. Come and see, and you'll, you'll see for yourself. And that's what we want to be, a people who say, come and see, right? We should be um, I was having a great conversation with Selah uh, this week, and we we're talking about all the people in high school and how it's harder to invite people in high school than it was in middle school. And like, how can we overcome those barriers? And they just seem set in their ways, you know? And I was thinking, how much more so for adults? But how often do you need to say, come and see, for someone to do that? Like, do we fill that quota? Like, one time, I invite you, um, and then, like, that's enough. There's a guy in my life that I think, I don't know if he's ever going to, whatever, find Jesus. But he's definitely been put in my life to make me wrestle with all of this. And um, he's uh, a dad of another guy on my soccer, my kid's soccer team. And I spend a lot of time with him talking uh, on the sidelines. And, you know, he seems like he's got his life all together and, and he doesn't seem to have any interest in Jesus. And I am just asking questions like, how am I supposed to attract him to the church? How am I supposed to attract him to Jesus? Like, there's got to be some creative thinking. Unless God's going to do a power encounter, which I'm always looking for. I mean, that would be great. And it would be, it would be scary. It would be scary because we have like this friendship. But it would be great to be like, oh, you broke your leg while we were standing here. Let's pray. Boom, you're healed. Now let me tell you about Jesus. Like, that would be great. And that might happen. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it doesn't seem to happen to me right now. So if that's all I'm waiting for, like how else am I supposed to attract people? And once they get here, what's going to happen? Like I've been in services where I've thought if this guy, this particular guy, he like sticks in my brain. Uh, if he came in right now, I would, I would like meet him at the door and walk him out. I'd be like, no, not right now. Right? We're, it's like family business. That's like if someone shows up at your house, you know, and you're in your underwear happens to me a lot, actually. My father-in-law has impeccable timing because I, I usually shower downstairs. You don't need to know this, but, and dress upstairs. And so there's a time frame in between the shower and the dressing where I'm walking. And you didn't need to do that. I'm not, I've got like a towel usually. But you know, it's like that. You have, we, do, we do family stuff in church sometimes that's like super, super family. And it's like not time for someone to show up. You know what I'm saying? And, but what 
And this is what I've been wrestling with. How are you going to ever know when to invite someone to attract them to church if, they're, if, we, if we haven't made a commitment here to be attractional? So could we be sent and gatherers? And I want Claire to share a testimony real quick because this has all seemed so theoretical to me for so long that I actually like, I have a friend who has a church that does the attractional thing and people come, come on up. People come in and, um, and I was like, I don't believe you. So his name's Justin. I was having a conversation and I was like, I don't believe you that people just come to your church and find Jesus. You have to tell me actual stories because you can't just tell me numbers. I know pastors. Pastors make up numbers all the time. Like the number of hours they work, the number of people in their church. Liars, right? So um, it's true. But uh, he, and he started telling me these stories. And so I have been, I just want to say as a preface, I have been praying on a regular basis, God, would you begin to bring people to this service right now and begin to work in their lives and meet them and they can start making decisions for Christ. So um, something cool happened last week and I want you to share about it. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Claire. Uh, my parents live in New Jersey. Um, they come down about once a month. Um, Mom is a recent believer, like last spring after women's conference, but my dad is not. And um, um, only ha- ever been exposed to religion in a very um, formal, unloving sense, like how much can you put in the basket every week? Um, good works, baptism as a baby, and you're good to go. So um, he was born into severe abuse and then grew up to become an alcoholic and became a severe abuser. Um, and it just his, his story is so tragic. It's so heartbreaking and tragic. Um, and as an adult now, having my own healing, I can look at that and say, oh, it's tragic. Um, underneath all of his, I mean, if, if, if you ever met him, and I don't know that you experienced this last week, but he is a very hard man. He's very calloused. Um, you know, it's actually been to a point in our own family, and Greg and I, we want to be a witness to our parents. We want to, um, you know, at one point in time, they were all unbelievers. We we're first-generation Christians in our families. Um, so we want to have an open door, and we want to turn a cheek as much as possible. But there came a time a few years ago where my dad was being so awful that I looked at him and I said, you have to leave. You will not treat my son that way. It's my job to step in and protect my children in a way that I wasn't protected. Um, you got to go. And uh, it was in that moment, he was being so awful. I can't even express it to you. I was thinking this is actually not happening. Um, Towards my son, not physical, but just the verbal, and um, had gone on every visit, every visit. And God in that moment said to me, I want you to look at him and tell him you forgive him. And I was like, um, no, actually, it's not actually happening. And God was like, but you and I wrestled with this for so many years and you've had so much healing and I forgived you so greatly because you were no better than he really, right? Sin is sin. So I want you to just look at him in all of his ugly right now, in all of his abuse that he's outpouring in your home. And I want you to tell him you forgive him. And I said, no. And wrestled with that for about an hour and uh, went up to him. And I'm, t- I'm going on about this because this was the moment number one of tenderness in my dad's heart towards God. I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry. I said, you need to leave. I meant it. Um, but I know what you heard and um, I love you. And I want you to know I forgive you. And that was a whole long conversation that ended up with him in, he was a mess. I don't deserve that. And I was like, neither did I. Let me tell you about Jesus. And that was day one. That was about five years ago. 
and um, never willing to come here. I think he's been here once, and it was for like an event. Um, and started having, and that's gone until August, present day August, um, calls me from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, their annual vacation to say, I had a dream. There was a faceless man who, I'm not sure who he was, telling me that we need to talk about our issues before it's too late. We need to go for a walk and have a conversation. And he was like, so I need you to tell me what you think it means. And I said, well, give me a minute and put my Daniel hat on and I'll tell you. Which, thank you, because it was lost on him. Um, but, uh, um, and I said, you know, so I it went through the whole, like, it's not really my place to say, but this is what I think. Three times now, God has come to him and said, I'm pursuing you and I love you. And you have these barriers up, that all this hurt, and I, I want to talk to you about it. Whatever ugly that needs to look like, I want to talk to you. And um, so that's really cool. I gave him a book a year ago on the difference between religion and relationship. And it was a man who actually says, I hate the author. I hate religion, but I love Jesus. And so how does that work out corporately and personally? And a uh, pretty good book, a little profound. Um, he just started reading it last Saturday. And I said, Dad, it would mean a lot to me on Sunday night if you came to church. Nah, it's not my thing. I know, it's never been your thing. But God's pursuing you, and that could either mean that, you know, you're going to die soon. Or, I mean, that's how I talk to my dad. I'm not going to sugarcoat. Or it could mean that the rest of your years that you have in life, God just wants your life to look so different. Either way, it tick-tock. Like, let's go. And, um, and uh, he decided to come. And uh, we finished dinner very quickly. He was struck with severe abdominal cramping. He was in the bathroom with severe diarrhea. He's like, I can't go. And I was like, oh, yeah, you, you're fine. That's actually an attack. Get in the car. And um, he got here, like, literally sitting on the end, ready for the bathroom again. And, um, um, and, then, and then there were things that weren't quite, I mean, I think it's normal, but, you know, you were like, where are my notes? And where's the, 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 the baby pool? And where's the... And for me, that's normal. But my parents, who grew up in formal church, I was like, crap, he's going to hate this. And after service, he looked at me. He said, that was the most profound, real, and amazing service I have ever been to. And if I lived here, I would come to this particular service every Sunday. And I was like, what? And then Christian, I'm chatting with someone else, and Christian made an effort after service to come and talk to my parents. Um, so much so that, I guess my dad talked to you about the book he was reading. And Christian said, listen, I know you live far away. I'd even be willing to meet you. In two and a half hours, I'll meet you halfway. Let's talk about God when you're done with that book, wherever I need to meet you. And again, my dad has never had a real, genuine, it's always been, what do you want from me? You know, um, always strings attached. And I think really Greg and I are the only ones in his whole world. I mean, his relationship with my mom is awful. It's terrible. It's volatile. Um, we're it. And I, I, you know, you work so hard for your home to feel different and look different and for there to be this underlying peace there so that we can talk about Jesus, but he needs to see Jesus in action. And, um, and then we came here corporately and here there was an open, just real people, a real sermon that was not rehearsed and not perfect. And Really, really close, like like A minus actually, um, but but he was so touched by it, and um, this whole week, and even today, I called him and he told me just been really thinking about about that me and Christian. I mean, he's he's like the real deal, and I'm like, Dad, it doesn't get any realer than that. And when he said he would meet you, he meant it, and I want you to follow through. So it was just amazing. So yeah.
I think there's just so many things that I would pull out of that. Like, first off, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, she, you know, in the beginning of that story, she was remembering that she had once been far, right? Where she was asked by Jesus to step across that barrier that gets made where we're on the inside and they're on the outside. And she, like that verse we just read, where he said, remember, once you were far, and Jesus came to preach to you far. And so she remembered that. And then I would, uh, just a couple other things, like, God is working supernaturally in people's lives all the time, and we assume he's not. We look at our family, we look at strangers, and we assume he's not instead of assuming he is. What if we just lived under the assumption that God was already working on everyone? And the person you see at the whatever, the mall or at the gas station or whatever, God's been working on them, and you're, oh, I'm just another step in your you know, journey right now. Like, it's totally different, and we're so blinded, and we're so natural instead of supernatural. God's been working, and that's the prayer that I've been praying, and I didn't know I was praying for your dad, but I've been praying for him. I've been praying for other people that we haven't met yet. Like, what if this room was full in a couple years of people who were recently converted to Jesus? Like, that, I can't think of a better way to have church. I can't. And, and the mess that would ensue, and like, we would try to figure out what's okay and what's not okay, and Seriously, it would be messy. I can remember we had a crew come into youth group years ago who was all smoking a whole bunch. It's like, well, so do they smoke on church's property or not? Like, those are the kind of issues I would love to be wrestling with, right? Instead of like, I don't know which song to pick, right? Sorry. (laughs) I'm not, uh, so yeah, and then also, like, we were a place that's been thinking and praying about this, so we were ready. And I want to just tell you, from a personal standpoint, I gave a, a salvation call. He didn't take it, but it was authentic for me. For the first time in my life, when I've seen a new person, I've given salvation calls before, but it's always because kind of guys knew they were in the room, but now it's because we do it every week. And so it was authentic. Like, this is just who we are now. This is what we do, and that's why we do it. That's why when I look around, and I know every single person here has been saved for 20 years, we still do that. Because we're, we're planting that seed. So, okay, I, I'm supposed to end. I, I really want to address this. So this is going to go quicker, um, but I, I think this is part of it, okay? And so worship team, give me like three minutes. So the other dichotomy is deep and wide. And this is a real issue, and we'll, I think we'll address it more. But So I'm talking all this talk about getting out and bringing people in, and the focus is on others, the focus is on others, the focus is on others. And you could get to a point where you're like, what about us? And, and like, you know, my first reaction is, that's right. <laughs> it's not about us. I really don't think it is. And I think that there's so much maturity in letting go of that in saying, it's not about us. Like, Christianity is about growing by giving. It's not about growing by getting. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, but I want to talk about real quick, could we be both deep and wide? And what that means, this is a great book if you want to read it, Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley, is we don't want to just be a place that's all fluff and shallow, right? We need Jesus. Those of us who are already in or whatever, who have been, you know, walking this walk longer, we need Jesus. Life's hard. That's a real thing. We are really under attack. We are really living in a hard world. We need to be able to come somewhere and receive from the Holy Spirit and receive from each other. So we're not talking about a creating ex- an experience that's, that's only an inch deep, but really super wide. Like we're super inclusive, right? We, but can it just be one and not the other? And this is another tension I want to create is church that's both deep and wide, that is deep, that has 
deep, profound worship and experience with God that has deep, profound prayer ministry. And I'll tell you from a real—I've said this too many times, but like uh, from a, an experience of mine, we can do this at youth group. We've tried it. And some of our best experiences of being wide were when we got deep. But you have to communicate it right, and you have to be aware of what's going on. Like some of the times we've had the, the most unchurched people in our room, we've done hearing God's voice exercises, and, and those are the times that have touched their lives the most. People in this world, so I'm taking a course on evangelism right now, and this guy did this, uh, his doctorate study on all the people at Columbus Vineyard who had gotten saved there. That's a 6,000, 7,000 person church. So he had a lot of people to pull from, okay? And he talked about what, the, what happened as they got saved. And every one of them, before they got saved, 100% were looking for more. Nothing else was 100%, but 100% were looking for more. And I'm actually going to teach on this another time of all the things that are happening in people's lives before they get saved, okay? But 100% were looking for more. So if they come here finally, and we don't give them more, then we fail in that way too. So somehow we have to learn to be deep without being off-putting, weird, or speaking a different language. I love in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the gift of tongues, and he says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to people who are coming to church than a thousand that they don't understand, right? And it's the, kind of the same concept and not apply that to how we translate the depth. We can be deep, but we can communicate it in such a way that they can hear it. We need to be deep. We need to be in Jesus. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you, and then you will bear fruit. So we can't, we can't expect to do this being sent and being gatherers and not be deep. We need worship and prayer and Bible study to be deep for us, and we need it to be deep for others. But I think it's a wrestling match of there's a drift in church towards just making it all about us, you know? And we want to fight that drift. All right, I'm going to say one more thing. I'm sorry. I've given some shorter teachings recently, so I'm taking the time from the end of those teachings and applying it here, okay? All right. Out is deep. <laughs> Think about it. Going out is deep. So we've defined deep most of the time in our life as worship and Bible study and prayer, and those are needed, and you know I believe that, Right? So this week, Claire and I did a family promise together. We ate dinner with this family. We hung out with them. And there were two moments that are etched in my memory. One is Claire trying to eat and this little girl just jumping all over her and eating and having this conversation. And then um, later, I went over and I, I built like a train track for this boy. And then this, there was this older boy. And man, it's just, it just sucks. Can I just tell you, this kid is like 13 years old. His name's Jordan. Um, right? He's homeless. And, like, I don't know where the dad is, but he's clearly not in the picture. And he, like, he's, for the first, like, hour, he's kind of, like, uh, aggressive and, and abrasive with me, which I, I understand because I was a boy. And, and, then, and then it turned. Like, I didn't run from him. And so then he was like, let's play Jenga, and I'm going to destroy you, right? So we played a half an hour of Jenga, and I just, there was this connection. Like, I made fun of him. He made fun of me. We were like, and then as we were playing, these other, all the kids came around the Jenga game. They were, like, trying to sit on my lap and trying, and there was like, oh, my gosh, there's a man paying attention to us, like, in a good way, right? And 
this boy, and then I had to leave. And I looked at the kid, and I was like, hey, I got to go. And he was like, and they said, are you going to be back? And I was like, man, I'm not going to be back. And, and moreover, you're not going to be back. Like, I, that was their last night in the program, I think. And so I just share that because, honestly, that was more profound for me than worship was this morning. Honestly. I'm not taking anything away from worship. Don't hear me the wrong way. But, like, when I looked into that kid's eyes, there was something profoundly deep about my faith in that moment. All right, worship team, come up. Jesus says, when you minister to the least of these, you'll be with, you're ministering to me. I mean, I felt Jesus in that room. I felt him just like I'm worshiping. I grew, I was stretched Okay. So you have this little piece of paper. Um, what we do is we respond to the teaching in the, in the last, uh, you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll do a couple songs of worship so you can respond with worship. You can also respond with communion, taking communion at one of the tables to the sides. You can also respond. There's a little reflection for you personally that you can do. Um, or you can get prayer. And we'll have a couple people in the back. Um, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, I want to be a follower of Jesus, or you have questions about that, you can go to the back and someone will talk to you. Um, and if you want prayer for just, you know, your call to be sent to other people, you can head to the back and get prayer. Um, or, or also we pray for healing every week. So if you are sick or in pain, we'd love to pray for you. Um, can I pray real quick? Can you stand? And uh, then we'll go into worship. Um, God, I think that this, this whole discussion is a little bit messy, and I just want to give it to you. And um, things that I've said that aren't of you, just let them wash away. But things that you are saying to us as a congregation that you're trying to plant deeply here um, in the barn, God, where we can be a people who are on mission and a people who are attracting others to you, Jesus. God, where we can be a people who are open wide with our arms and a place where we go deep in your presence Lord, can all that happen in the same place? I believe we're called to live in those tensions, and I pray that you'd help us, God. Lord, this is beyond us. It really is. So it's got to be you. And we ask that you would come. Lord, there are people who need what you have, and we pray we could be those messengers. Amen.